Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. I hope you noticed that our songs were talking about trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. I'm going to have a, a, a bit of an introduction, but you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We'll eventually get there. In AD 62, or roughly then, uh, Paul wrote a letter to the people around Ephesus, and in chapter 2, he wrote that, that we're all sinners, but God, who is rich in mercy, loved us greatly and forgave our sins through Jesus Christ, because he paid a, the debt that we owed. He died in our place. He uh, suffered the punishment that we deserve, and that we can be saved by trusting him. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We receive the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. Paul went on in that chapter to describe how the church was something marvelous. The church was something new. In the Old Testament, sorry, in, in the church, every people from every tribe and every nation and every language, they come to Christ the same way and they become part of the body of Christ, part of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. But for centuries, rabbis had been mis misinterpreting the Old Testament. They had been misunderstanding the Old Testament. They had been falsely teaching the Old Testament. See, what they were saying was that Jewish people are vastly superior to everybody else. That's what they were teaching. And they were teaching it, and people were believing it, and people were following it, and Jews would look down on anybody else. In fact, remember in the life of Jesus, it was extremely rare. Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman. Now, normally a rabbi, even a man, wouldn't have talked to a, a woman without some family connection there in their culture. And then uh, that he was talking with the Samaritan woman was, was shocking. His disciples came back and they saw it and they didn't even know what to say. They just, rare occasion when Peter didn't know what to say, he kept his mouth shut, you know. Uh, but but the, the, the rabbis taught that and they, all, kid, they were raised from the time they were young that you are vastly superior to other people just because of how you were born. Now, we know the truth in Christ. Nobody's better than anybody else. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. But after Jesus, in fact, in the life of Jesus, we read about Gentiles coming to him and believing in him and trusting in him. But after the death of Jesus, specifically after his resurrection and then his ascension, Jesus went up to heaven. And now the people that are left, they're the followers of Jesus. And the old guard of Judaism, they didn't want to let go of their superior position. And so a new group rose up called the Judaizers. And they said that not only did you have to believe in Christ, but you also had to convert to Christianity. I'm sorry, convert to Judaism. You had to believe in Jesus and become Jewish in order to be saved. And so that was stirring up. And so 12 years before Paul wrote that letter to the Ephesians saying uh, Jews and Gentiles are pulled together in one body, 
Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia because the church in Galatia was having the Judaizers impact them and they were teaching a false gospel. We are saved by trusting Christ and nothing else. And we receive the gift of salvation. So he wrote that letter to the people in Galatia and he told them about a conflict that he had with Peter in the city of Antioch. Peter was the spokesperson for the church. He was the most vocal of the apostles. He's the one who preached at Pentecost and thousands of people came to Christ. And Paul greatly used Peter. He was widely known and he was the most widely respected of all the apostles at that time in history. But Paul believed in speaking the truth in love. And Paul believes in holding everyone accountable to the word of God. And so Paul confronted Peter, and we're going to read about that in Galatians. We've been doing this series on loving God and loving people. Last week, what was the message about? Listening well. Are you listening? <laughs> it was about listening well. Today we're going to learn about loving enough to say the hard things. Loving enough to say the hard things. Because some things are a little more difficult to say. So, I don't know, in that picture on the screen, it looks like the young guy whose face you can see, he's talking to, about a serious concern, and we can't see how the other guy's responding. But you see, your responsibility is not their response. Your responsibility is to speak the truth. That, that's sort of the point. We trust God, and we do what's right, and then trust God with the consequences. So, Paul steps up in Peter's face. Now, I, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but I picture Paul being a small guy. Uh, the average Jewish man in that culture in that day was about 5'6", and they weren't known for being big and brawny. But Peter pulled in a net full with 153 big fish, all by himself. So Peter's got to have some muscles. So I try, I picture, you know, uh, Paul's maybe 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, and thin, and Peter's maybe 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and muscly, and Paul gets in Peter's face. Look in Galatians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. So Peter came and he would sit and they'd have a meal and he'd sit. And he was a Jewish man and he would sit and eat with the Gentile men, which the Jewish rabbis forbade. The word of God didn't, but the rabbis did. They said it was wrong. They added a whole bunch of rules to God's rules. And so Peter would sit and eat with these guys and he would enjoy the fellowship and treated them as brothers. But... There's a lot of transitions in scripture when you see that word but. In the middle of verse 12, but when they came, the Judaizers, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Those who said not only did you have to be leaving Jesus, but you also had to be circumcised and convert to Judaism. So basically, 
you know, Peter's hanging out with all these people over here, and he's having fun with them. But then, you know, when Jeff Miller shows up, they oh, no, we better go sit with Jeff over here, so we're not going to associate with these people over here. That's what they were doing. And, and Peter knew what was right, but he yielded because sometimes yielding's easier. Have you noticed that? Sometimes taking a stand is the most difficult thing you can do. But Paul took a stand. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now the Bible doesn't specifically say, but I picture this setting. Paul's not there for a little bit. Paul's gone away. Maybe he's gone for a couple days somewhere doing something. He comes back, and when he gets back, there's this division. What happened here? The church was all together, and now it's, here's the Jewish believers, and they're closer to God because, you know, I mean, Jesus was Jewish, so they're really special. And then here's the Gentile people, and they're not quite as special. They're still brothers in Christ, but they're like stepbrothers, you know? They're not full <laughs> brothers. And, and there was this, this animosity within the church, and Paul said, this is wrong. Now picture this small guy stepping up in the face of this big guy and fussing at him. Now, Paul did it in front of everybody. And I know when we teach conflict resolution, one of the things we say is get one-on-one -on -one with them. Jesus' instruction in Matthew, go to the person one-on-one. -on -one. But that's when they've offended you. See, what Peter was doing was hurting the entire church. And so how Paul had to address it was in front of the entire church. Now, we've had to do that as a church. It's a very, very unpleasant thing to do. But when it's the right thing to do, that's what you do. Paul stepped up and he confronted Peter and he said the difficult thing. He didn't know how it was going to work out. But he knew what was going on was wrong. And, and later he wrote about it, that God made one body, one family, Jew and Gentile, together in Christ, believing and trusting him for your salvation. And there's no difference whether you're Jewish, whether you're Greek, whether you're male, whether you're female. You come to Christ the same way. Now, God has different roles for men and women. Those are spelled out in Scripture. But salvation comes exactly the same way for everybody. And so I want to talk about loving enough to say the hard things. Having the boldness that Paul had to confront Peter in that setting with the Judaizers, those of the circumcision, those people already there having this confrontation. So number one, when you are in a position of authority, you can rebuke, even sharply, when necessary, when you are in a position of authority. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to several passages of Scripture, okay? So, first of all, we're going to look in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, when you're in a position of authority, you can rebuke even sharply when it's necessary. Paul wrote three letters that we call the pastoral epistles. That's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They're called the pastoral epistles because Paul wrote them to these guys who were leading churches, and he gave them instruction on how to help other pastors and other pastors slash elders 
other deacons serving in churches. So he wanted them to understand how to do the church right because the church got corrupted sometimes by some people. All right. So in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he gives some specific instruction for life in the church. Now he's writing to the preacher from the role of the pastor. He's saying, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now we can talk about all kinds of fun stuff today. I mean, I can tell you cool things. In my life, you can tell me cool things. In your life, we can have self-help meetings. We can, you know, talk about all. But the objective of gathering together as a church for this assembly is the primary focus is to preach the word. Why do we have that focus? Because God had that focus. This is how Jesus Christ wanted his church done. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to the Apostle Paul, who then wrote this to Timothy and said, preach the word. Now you notice there's an exclamation point uh, in there, and that there's not very many exclamation points in the scripture. This is very emphatic. Preach the word. So it's emphatic on two ways. Preach, herald, communicate the word. Teach people the word of God. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. Some days you just feel like it, right? Some days you don't. You still do it. Uh, pre be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think we're pretty much in that age right now. They will not endure sound doctrine. The fastest growing churches in the world don't teach much Bible. In fact, one of the favorite preachers that Kathy and I had when we were in Bible college, we loved his preaching. It was saturated with the Word of God. When our senior class got to pick a person to come and be the spokesperson for our senior banquet, we asked him to do it. He did a great job. It was terrific. The other day, I, took, I heard some stories about him and his church, and I decided I'll go online and I'll watch one of his sermons because it, it can't be that bad. I remember what it used to be like, and I listened as he preached for more than half an hour he never held a Bible. He never said, look what God's word says. He alluded to scripture a couple times, but a lot of it was just how to get along with one another in this life. Well, you know, if we get really comfortable in this life, that doesn't help us prepare for the life to come. Preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, by the way, his church is massive. He's got a couple thousand people there in the church, uh, but he's hindering their spiritual growth by not teaching them the truth of God's word. And that's just really sad. Really, really sad. Uh, then he says, uh, they're, they're going to have itching ears. They're going to heap up for themselves teachers, teachers who will teach them what they want to hear. And then he goes on. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That we all have the job of trying to evangelize people for Christ. To share the gospel message. To share the hope in Christ. And he's saying, especially Timothy as a pastor, you need to really focus on this. 
and do this. But notice what he says. Reprove or convince. Uh, show them boldly to reprove or convince, to confront or rebuke, to exhort or encourage with long-suffering or patience. You, you don't quit. You don't give up. You don't stop teaching God's Word just because people stop listening. You keep doing it because some people will listen, some people will learn, and you keep doing what's right. And then he said, with doctrine or teaching, um, I had a guy visit a church I pastored before I came here. I pastored 100 miles south of here. And this guy came to the church and, and we talked. And I think I was preaching on this passage and I talked about doctrine and the teaching. And, and then I went by to visit him. He said, you know, he said, I just, I don't want to go to a church where they're always teaching doctrine. I, I just want to learn what the Bible says. <laughs> I got a really confused look on my face and I said, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Doctrine is teaching what the Bible says. That's what it means. I know some people go a little overboard in theology and they focus on this minutia and that minutia and how if you get the right minutia, then you, well, you know, uh, we don't need to focus on minutia, but we do need to get the facts straight and focus on the word of God. And so here he's saying, when you're in a position of authority like Timothy was in, reprove and rebuke and do it with long-suffering and doctrine. Now, turn a couple pages toward the back of your Bible to Titus. It's the very next book, Titus chapter 1. And he talks about an illustration of something going on in Crete. Titus was ministering on the island nation of Crete. And so he's telling them, Paul's writing about what's going on there. He said, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Remember, that was the problem in Galatia. Those of the circumcision, the Judaizers who were coming in. And Paul's saying they're, they're doing wrong. And then he says in verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. Why should their mouths be stopped? Because they're subverting whole households, teaching things which they ought not. Uh, for the sake of dishonest gain. Some of them are just trying to make money by teaching these things. Now, I know some people say, well, you should never be critical of anyone else ever. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Paul did. You should share the truth. Now, some people might have a slightly different opinion than you. Don't attack people, but teach the truth. And he said, their mouths must be stopped. See, within the church, we can't let false teachers in. Like that guy I mentioned earlier, his church. A lot of people going there, not learning much. Would we have him as a guest speaker here? No way. Even though back when I had the opportunity to choose a guest speaker, I said, he's the guy I want. Now I wouldn't do that. So we have to show discernment and make sure our ministry is following God's word. But then he says something that kind of funny. One of them, in verse 12, a prophet of their own, one of those false teachers, says, Cretans, those who live in Crete, not Cretans in the sense of bad people, but those who live in Crete are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now look at verse 13. This testimony is true. They really were like that. 
The, the island nation of Crete was known for its lethargy and its indulgence. And, and then he said, so what does he tell Titus to do about it? What does he tell them? <laughs> Rebuke them. Sharply. Wow. What does sharply mean? Rebuke them sharply or severely. Be stern and severe and in an unpleasant manner. Let them know they have been rebuked. Don't say, you know, you might think about maybe change it a little bit. No, get in their face just like he did with Peter. And because Titus was in a position of authority, and so Paul told him, take that authority and use it for good and for God and deal with it. And then in chapter 2 of Titus, in verse 11, he says more about it. For the grace of God that brings, brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness or worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Speak these things. Speak it. Don't just teach what people want to hear. Teach the truth. Exhort, strongly encourage and urge them. Rebuke is that stern and serious confrontation with all authority. When you are sharing God's word, you have the authority of Jesus Christ to share God's truth. So we need to be loving enough to say the hard things. And sometimes when you're in a position of authority to even rebuke sharply. For example, what do you think this picture is on the screen? Who are those two people? Do you think there's a relationship between them? What do they look like? Mother and, daughter. Mother and daughter. Should parents ever rebuke their children? Yes. No, because you could harsh their self-esteem. <laughs> you should always just affirm them. That's what we always did with you, right, Megan? <laughs> <laughs> you missed an awesome look. <laughs> Listen to these scriptures from Proverbs. 22.15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. I believe that was my father's favorite verse. <laughs> Proverbs 13.24 He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Discipline, correction, reproof, rebuke, these are essential. Proverbs 15.5 A fool despises his father's instruction. But he who receives correction is prudent. And in his Revelation 3 letter to the church in Laodicea, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. When you're in a position of authority, you have to accept that as part of the task. To correct, to guide, to instruct. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves within the structure of our church that includes pastors and deacons and, and trustees. Pastors are also called elders in scripture. 
And so that you submit to them, you follow their leadership. Why? Because that's Jesus' rule for his church. So those in positions of authority are commanded by God to rebuke when necessary, and sometimes even to rebuke sharply. Second thing is that even when you are not in a position of authority, you can and should share your concern. Take your Bible and, and turn to uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then the, the letters, first and second Thessalonians, anyway. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at a couple of verses about our need to share our concern. Now, when you are not in a position of authority, you cannot rebuke sharply. Okay? Let's look at what it says here. You need to share your concern. Colossians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Get that wisdom from the word of God. So then you can be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so that the music that we have at our church should actually be teaching something, not just making you feel good. And then, uh, then uh, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you need to be teaching and admonishing one another. There's different levels of communicating God's truth. There's the preaching moment. Uh, one of the pastors who teaches preaching says this is level three, preaching, but there's also level two and level one. Level one is just you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody and you bring God's truth into that conversation. That's level one communication. Level three is you stand in front of a group and you preach and teach God's word. Like Tim Pennick stood here and taught during Sunday school and I'm standing here and teaching now. Uh, and then there's level two is in the middle between the two and that might be teaching a small group or you're teaching an Awana lesson or, or you're teaching... Uh, you got a small group of people over here sharing something with them. So we're, we, we all have the responsibility for level one and level two to communicate God's word one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. And then some people have the command and the call of God to become teachers in the Bible classes or pastors in the churches and communicate to more people. But when you're not in a position of authority, you still can and should share your concern. Uh, I put up on the screen here, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are believer priests, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, if you read in your Bible, that doesn't stand out. It's in the same color as the other text, but I wanted to emphasize it. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some of you who lived difficult lives before you came to Christ, you really understand that, being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some of you were saved at such a young age, you never really experienced that darkness. You were just as lost as those who did. You needed his light just as much. 
but we're a royal priesthood. See, in the Old Testament, there was a priesthood. In the Old Testament, for you to get right with God, you would come up to the, the synagogue, or you would come up to the temple, actually, and you would then go to the temple, and you would make a sacrifice, and that priest would intercede between you and God. So he would take the message from God and give it to the people and take the offering of the people and give it to God. And he was there as the intercessor between the people. That was the role of the Jewish priest. That's why most of the time when I read through the Old Testament, when I talk, teach through the Old Testament, I talk about the Jewish priest. Because there are churches today who have people they call priests. That's not God's structure for the church. Who is the one between you and God in the church age? Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus alone. So you don't come to me to get right with God. You can learn from me. I can help teach you how to get right with God and follow God. But you don't need me to pray for you. You don't need me to do an offering for you. I don't burn candles and incense for you. In fact, it's a good thing or I'd have to stop being a pastor because I can't breathe around candles and incense. But you're a royal priesthood. So here's what we say in our church bylaws, um, articles of faith rather. We believe in the priesthood of all believers and their right to have direct dealings with God. They confess their sins to the Father in the name of the Son, seeking his direct forgiveness not seeking absolution or forgiveness of sins from any man. If their sin hurts another person, they should seek personal forgiveness. But only God forgives sin through Jesus Christ and no other. Now listen carefully. The pastor of the church is no more a priest than any other church member. His role is to model, to teach, and to encourage, not to stand in the Lord's place, between the members and their God. Mm -hmm. See, uh, even when you are not in a position of authority, you can and should share your concern. But you don't share your concern as one having authority. You share your concern as a brother or sister in Christ. And so sometimes when you talk to somebody, they might get mad. Has anybody ever got mad and said something like, who made you to be a judge over me? Well, you can tell them, I'm not being a judge over you. I'm not being an authority over you. I'm just doing what Jesus Christ said we should do within the church, and that is to share our concerns with one another so we can grow. So here's what I understand from God's word. Here's what I'm seeing in your life. It doesn't fit. Am I missing something? Can you tell me what I'm missing? Or... Do we need to pray together so you can get beyond that? See, we're not supposed to just let it hang. And some people do. And some churches do. And it's not supposed to be that way. Right, here's the third thing. You must use the scripture as your objective standard and not your own personal bias or perspective. See, what he said in his letter to the Colossians, um, in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's where our wisdom comes from, the word of God. 
We focus on the, we have a natural tendency to want to be an authority. We have a natural tendency to do that. So uh, anybody who has any medical training, they want to tell you what's the best medical treatment. Well, I read about it online. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I used to be a member at what used to be LA Fitness and then it changed and something else came in and that's gone too. But, uh, but they had a, a sauna in there and I don't know why, but I went in one day to see what the sauna felt like and that was enough. I was in there for a little, few minutes and there were these two guys in there. This one guy who was very significantly overweight and he said he found the secret. He, he got online, a medical doctor says this, you spray this thing on your stomach and it just eats the body fat. <laughs> awesome! I wonder how much he spent for that. I don't think it worked. There are some medical doctors who are charlatans and they embarrass all the medical profession. Just like there are preachers who are charlatans and embarrass all the churches. There's some really good doctors out there. Follow them. What political decisions are best? Everybody has a political opinion, don't they? Even those who say they're not political, they have a political opinion. Which team is best? Dawson actually thinks it's the Bears. <laughs> I had to put that out online, Dawson. <laughs> what, what food is best? How many of you think Mexican food is the best food in all the world? What? Not enough hands went up. You're right with God, people know. So, you know, we like all kinds of different foods. My wife loves squash. Squash. I don't even like the sport squash. The only squash I'll eat is pumpkin pie. But whose opinion carries more weight? What step is the next appropriate step? See, we have all these things going on. Now, our son Benjamin, when he was three years old, thankfully, we praise God, he learned to read. And we could show him from the Word of God where it said, children, obey your parents. And so we showed him in multiple passages of Scripture. And we, when we finished, I said, all right, now, who does God say is in charge? Looking an awful lot like I did as a kid. And he said, you guys. But it just seems like I should be in charge. <laughs> Three-year-old wisdom. Some people never outgrow that. <laughs> they still think they should be in charge of everything. So we need to use the scripture. Say, here's the standard of behavior. So I could be an authority in my kid's life, not because I was bigger or meaner, which was true, but I could be an authority in their life because God's word said so, and I could share God's truth with them. There's one person with full authority in the church, and that person is Jesus Christ. Every single person, other than Jesus, is fully accountable to him. We hold ourselves and each other accountable to Jesus Christ, to the word of God, and to each other. Every single one of us are fully under his authority. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, correcting or rebuking with doctrine and teaching. Our standard is not your personal whims, but God's inspired truth. 
I've shared this before, I think, but years ago, there was a church that had a great reputation, a great history. Church that had the history of proclaiming God's word and seeing thousands come to Christ. It was a fairly large church. And the Fort Worth Star-Telegram ran an article that exposed the pastor of that church. They caught him in a lifestyle that was clearly unchristian. In bars picking up people. And they exposed him. And then they came and they talked to the chairman of the deacons about that. And here's what the chairman of the deacons of that church that was supposed to be a Baptist church, supposed to be a church that held to the fundamentals of the faith. Here's what the deacon said. Well, we knew about it, but we didn't do anything about it because he was such a good preacher. That will not happen here. In our church, we have the same objective standard for behavior, whether you're a six-year-old member or a six-decade-old pastor. We answer to God's word together. We're accountable to each other. We're fully accountable to Jesus, fully accountable to the scripture, fully accountable to each other. That's how Jesus set up his church. So it can't be your whim, your profession, your preference. It's the word of God. Number four, we must speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. When you hear the word rebuke, does it sound kind of harsh? Rebuke. It doesn't sound like rebuke. <laughs> rebuke. No. But listen, there is no cruelty or harshness in a biblical rebuke. There's only loving correction to the objective standard of God's word. Turn please to Ephesians chapter 11. There's loving correction to the objective standard of God's truth. Yeah. Yeah, if you find Ephesians 11, buy a new Bible. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Just pause right there and think about this for a moment. God said, your pastor's a gift to your church. Okay, let's go. All right, listen. Uh, seriously. Here's the purpose of these roles. Now, the apostles have ceased, the prophets have ceased, because we have the completed scripture. When we have evangelists, we support two evangelists. You can look on the chart over there. We support two evangelists. Uh, they were both here this year. Pete was here in, in January, and Peru was here in February. Uh, why do we have these roles of evangelists and pastors and teachers? Tw verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that we're all growing and serving together. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we know should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Pause right there. There were false teachers. 
They were trying to lead people astray. He wrote about it to Titus. He wrote about it to Timothy. And he said, they're trying to lead people astray. We need to make sure it stops. And so he's now telling them, listen, every one of us needs to grow mature in our handling of God's work so we recognize error. I have never worked in a bank, but I'm told that tellers who work in a bank are repeatedly trained on handling real money. So by the touch, the feel, the appearance, and even the smell, they can recognize a counterfeit right away. Unless it's a really, really good counterfeit. By the touch or the smell or the feel, uh, they, they, uh, the color of it, they see the difference. And so we need to know the truth of God's word. So we're not like kids. We're growing and maturing. And then look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're all accountable to all of us, and we're all helping all of us to grow and mature in Christ. So if you, you can ask yourself this question, if who have I helped this month in their spiritual walk with Christ? If you haven't encouraged somebody or prayed for somebody, you need to get right with God. You have an accountability to help and minister to other people. We must speak the truth in love, verse 15 says. Building each other up in love. So some people, when they review, they get harsh and obnoxious. But that's not the biblical pattern. You say, wait a minute, isn't that what Paul did? He got in Peter's face? No, he got in Peter's face because there was an authority issue there. Paul was one of the pastors in the church in Antioch at that time. And there was also the sake of the church was at stake. It wasn't a personal disagreement. It was a ministry that I, it would have really affected the ministry. In fact, if you remember where we started, loving enough to say the hard things, uh, what if Paul had not confronted Peter? What if Paul had not confronted Peter? Outside of Jerusalem, the church in Antioch was the hub of Christianity at that point. It was the most influential church. It had the most missionary zeal. They were sending people to other parts of the world to share the gospel, just like we do with the missionaries that we have back there. It started in Antioch. Antioch's the first church that had an intentional missions program. And they were the first church that really reached out to the Gentiles. They were the model church. And what if they had allowed the gospel to be corrupted by the Judaizers? What if they had stopped reaching out to the Gentiles? Then the church as we know it wouldn't exist today. The church where all people from all nations and tribes and languages and backgrounds come to faith in exactly the same way by believing and trusting in Jesus and then each of those same people become equal members in that local assembly. From a human perspective, churches like Victory would not exist today if Paul had not been loving enough to say the hard thing. But he was, and we benefit from it. 
Paul loved Jesus. To me, to live is Christ. Paul loved people and spent his life sharing the gospel and teaching them to follow Jesus Christ. Can you bring up that last slide? Paul loved Peter, and he didn't even want to see Peter leading people astray. He was loving enough and bold enough to say the hard things. But we need to be bold. We need to be loved. We need to do it with love, but we need to say the hard things. Sometimes it's easy to say the hard things because you're mad. Don't say it mad. Years ago, I developed a habit in my own life that I wished I developed when my kids were little. Don't try and correct somebody when I'm upset. We had some people in our church that we had helped, uh, a man and a woman, a young guy and a young woman. And we had helped them a lot, and each of them. And then they went. They made a decision together that was wrong, and. and uh, and I was angry because we'd helped him, we'd helped her, we, and so I waited several weeks so that by the time I went to talk to them, I could just share with them what God's word said about the decision they made. And I wasn't mad at them. My only objective was concern for them. See, we can take out our feelings on others, and I did that sometimes with my kids. But that's not the biblical pattern. What we're supposed to do is come alongside them. We, we share the ministry of reconciliation. We come alongside and we try and bring them back into right relationship with God. And that's where we love enough to say the hard things with love. We don't just say the hard things and leave them out there. You know, I just says it the way I sees it. <laughs> well, stop it. <laughs> say it with love. That's the standard. But don't let it be unsaid. A parent who loves a child corrects a child when the child's making bad choices. Now, if, the, if they're adult children, you pray for them. If they're kids still under your authority, you invest and speak and communicate with them. When they're adult kids, you can pray for them and you can encourage them, but you can't rebuke them or correct them. That's not your place. But we can love enough to say the hard things. And sometimes it's very hard to speak up sometimes it's really hard to keep your mouth shut until you can do it with love. But listen, God's given us the capacity to do what he has called us to do. So we can do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example Christ gives us in Scripture, the teaching of Paul and others that guide us in this path. I pray that we would be faithful to you in the way that we deal with one another. I love enough to say difficult things, but to make sure we do it with love. That we use the Word of God as the objective standard we all correct our lives to. Lord, thank you that you made us family in Christ. And we understand family. Family is not perfect. Family has 
family problems. But Lord, we can have fewer family problems if we follow your word and your ways. Pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you may be here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Being the best ever person at communicating with other people will not get you into heaven. Only receiving the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ will get you there. If you have never done that or you're not sure about that, let us show you from God's Word how you can see Christ as your Savior and you can follow Him. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.